Well, we're glad you're here. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. It's good to see you. Uh, on the 29th of this month, Friday nights, a couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, something here from 630 to 8 called What We Believe. A lot of you are fairly new uh, to our church. You may wonder what it is exactly we believe. Some of you may be coming a long time, hadn't figured out what we believe, so come on over. And, and we'll have child care provided and all that stuff. But you come on the 29th. We'd love to have you. Over the years, I've heard uh, at different times people say something like this. Um, God can never forgive me. God can never save me. I've sinned too much in my life. I've had people say I can never uh, follow Jesus now. I've rejected him for all of my life. It'd be hypocritical. And in all those situations, what they're saying is just flat out wrong. None of that uh, is true. Uh, it, we kind of have to deal with, with the issue with the question uh, today. Is there anyone who is so sinful or anyone who has sinned so much that God will not forgive them? And the answer to that question simply is no. Uh, we're in a series entitled Backroads, as you saw from the, from the bumper. Normally, when, when we travel somewhere, if you're like me, I'm going to take the highway, the interstate, the quickest way there. The only time I take a backroad normally is if that's the only way I can get somewhere. Or once in a while, you know, Debbie and I say, let's just take a drive or we'll take a backroad route to get somewhere. When we do that, you can find some pretty cool, some pretty interesting things. So find some interesting restaurants, try some different food, different places. You, you can just try some stuff that's different. In, in the scriptures, we, we tend to stick to the things kind of we know. We come to the New Testament, we got the Gospels, the letters of Paul. In the Old Testament, we'll do Psalms, we'll do Genesis. But there are some passages in the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, that are kind of like back rows. They're, they're places we don't go very often, but when we do, we can find there's some amazing things that we can discover. And so we've been in this series, and, and today we come to the book of Second Chronicles in the 33rd chapter. And uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 33, a message entitled, When Bad Kings Go Good. And uh, if you've uh, never been to Chronicles, haven't read it much, just some fascinating stuff there. And we're not going to read all 20 verses of the 33rd chapter, we'll read some of them. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed. Before the sons of Israel, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah's father had broken down. <clears throat> he also erected altars for the Baals and made a shirim, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and he served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name shall be in Jerusalem forever. For he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And he practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. And he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Thus Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him, and he was moved by his entreaty, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom, and then Manasseh knew that the Lord 
was God. And he also removed the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, as well as all the altars which he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and threw them outside the city. And he set up the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. And he ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed in high places, although only to the Lord their God. So here's the thing today that I want you to see when we come to this passage. And it's this. There is nothing you can do that will keep God from from forgiving you if you admit your sin and seek forgiveness, that is, repent. There's nothing you can do to keep the Lord from forgiving you if you ask for that forgiveness in repentance, seeking to turn your life over to the Lord. So in this passage today, I'm going to share a couple things with you uh, that I want you to see. I'm going to start off by talking about the king of evil. And that's Manasseh, the king of evil. When scripture says that you sinned and did evil more than anybody else, including the pagans who worshipped in the land before you, you're pretty evil. And that's exactly how they summarize and describe Manasseh. Manasseh is found, his story is found in two places in scripture. It's found here in 2 Chronicles and also in 2 Kings 21. So what we're going to start off today, we're going to look at Manasseh's sin. Because his sin was great. Now if you read in 2 Kings chapter 21... What you will see is that some of the information we see in Chronicles isn't in Kings. They don't talk about the repentance of Manasseh. Now, that leads some to believe that, you know, they'll say, well, you see, here's where the Bible contradicts itself, or it's in disagreement or in conflict and stuff like that. And, 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 that's, and, and that's nowhere near the truth. And we ought never to think that the Bible is in contradiction here. What you have to realize is that to some degree, what, you, what Kings and, and Samuel, those books kind of go together. What they're trying to accomplish is not necessarily the same as Manasseh. In other words, when you come to Samuel and Kings, their, their focus is to show that the people of Israel in, in sin slowly eroded their relationship to God to get them to the place where God would eventually just send all of them to exile. Now, all of the Bible, we need to understand, if, if the Holy Spirit is inspiring the authors of Scripture, and he is, all of the Bible is pointing over to Jesus. It's going to get us to Jesus. And so while the people who wrote Kings and wrote Chronicles, they don't understand all that, but God is working through them. And so really what you see in Kings is they just show how, how all this sin, all this rebellion, despite the fact that there were some good kings, yes, and there, there were some periods in, in the life of Judah especially where they worshipped the Lord, and that's absolutely true, the cumulative effect of all the rebellion, of all the rejection of God, wears down and wears down and wears down till you get to the point where God just sends them all into exile. Now, Manab in Chronicles is concerned with that also, but it also wants to point out to us the individuals who were involved in the story of Israel in a different way. And so it brings out the repentance of Manasseh. Yes, the totality of Manasseh's evil helped wear down Israel and get it to the point where God was going to send them off into exile. But Manasseh himself spent part of his life in repentance, and so that's what it shows us. So we come and we see then in Chronicles this sin that exists and, and the summation of it all is it said that Manasseh did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it describes his sin. And here's, here's how it describes it. It says that he rebuilt all the high places that his father, Hezekiah, had taken down. Hezekiah, his dad, was a tremendous king. Now, Manasseh ruled for about 55 years. 
about 12 of those years, or 11 of those 12 of those years, he ruled with his dad, Hezekiah, who was a great king. Manasseh ruled from 697 to about 642. And so he should have learned some things from his father. He should have realized all the good that his father had done and learned that, but he didn't do it. Our kids don't always learn our good habits. For some reason, our kids always pick up our bad habits, right? They always learn the things we don't want them to learn, but they don't necessarily learn the things they should learn. And that can be a problem from time to time. But here, that was the case with Manasseh. And so the high places, you know, they may have worshipped the Lord there, but God didn't want them to go into the high places. The idea, kind of a superstition, you're up high, closer to God, did not want them to worship the high places because that's what they did in the worship of Baal. And God knew it would be too easy for them to revert to worshipping Baal. So he didn't want them to do that. He rebuilt the high places. Then they worshipped Baal and they worshipped the, the, the Asherim, the, the fertility goddess. And, and, and so they worshipped all the gods and goddesses of the Canaanites. Not only did they worship them, but they put altars for them in the temple of God. I mean, the temple that Solomon had built to worship only the Lord, and they were putting altars in there to worship foreign gods, and they even built an idol to Asherah, the the detestable fertility goddess of the Canaanite people. And so they were doing all of that. Solomon worshipped all the starry hosts, the stars, the sun, the moon, all the deities that they thought existed behind that. He even had his sons sacrificed to the Canaanite gods. They passed through the fire in what is really just a grotesque, almost torturous process to his kids. He took his own flesh and blood, sacrificed him. The book of Kings said he shed so much blood in, in, in his kingdom that you can't even count it all. It was just immense amount of bloodshed that went on by Solomon that whole period of time. In addition, he consulted witchcraft, the occult, the, the, the mediums, the spiritists, he did all of this stuff. And then he took the people of Israel and he led them to do the same thing. The people of Israel, the people in Judah, who were supposed to be worshiping God, joined Manasseh in his sin. So much, this is what scripture said, that they sinned more than the people before them. They sinned more than the Canaanite people who before them sinned. And they all poured into this sinful, sinful process that went on. So you see, this is Manasseh's sin. And from his sin, then, we need to go to Manasseh's punishment. And he was punished. God warned him. And kings were told that they sent prophets, that, that God spoke to the prophets. Here, here we see in Chronicles uh, that, that, that God had spoken to Manasseh and the people of Israel. But they ignored the God. God, they wouldn't follow him. They wouldn't listen to him. And so God said, fine. If you're not going to listen to the warnings, then you're going to pay the price. Listen. When you live in sin, eventually there are consequences to that sin. They're inevitable. We can't expect realistically to live our life sinfully and there not be any consequences for that. There are consequences for sin. And so what happened is that the the commanders of the army of the Assyrians came to Judah and they took Manasseh away, it says, with hooks and, and, and shackles. And the idea of hook... Those of you who are fishermen, it's like, you know how they would you run a fish on a stringer to keep them there? They basically would just put a hook through Manasseh's nose, and it was like a fish, you know, just being dra- dra- dragged away. And they, and they shackled him. Now, we don't know a lot about this period of time, what, that exactly that happened there uh, from scriptures. There are other documents out there. Obviously, they're not sacred, not sacred like the Bible, but the Assyrian kings wrote a lot of records and wrote a lot of, a lot of stories about their kings and what all happened. And we know that this time there was a king named Esarhaddon. Now, 
the Assyrians ruled for a long time, and they were an evil, evil uh, a kingdom, and just a godless people. And uh, the, the, the Assyrians were the ones who took the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 and just took them all off into exile. Just took all of them away. Uh, here, at this period of time, somewhere in that, towards the end of Manasseh's reign probably, there was a rebellion about the Babylonians against the Assyrians. Eventually, the Babylonians would defeat the Assyrians in 612. But the Babylonians kind of rose up. So Esther had had to put that rebellion down. And while he was doing that, some of the other nations decided, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. We're not going to pay tribute to the, to the Assyrian king. Now, back then, when you were an empire, you couldn't put your people controlling all the other countries. So what you told the countries to do is you pay us money. We'll let you govern yourself, but you pay us money. As long as you pay us money, we're okay. And when you quit paying us money, we're going to come to get you. Manasseh quit paying money. So they came, and they took him away. Scripture gives credit to God for this. This was the act of the Lord who allowed this punishment to occur. We may struggle sometimes with God allowing that which is evil to in some way deal with the people God deals with. But we ought not to be surprised that when you reject God and rebel against God and you're going to associate with other people like that, you're all rebelling against God. Things are going to come and happen your way against you. That's just what we call it, punishment. That's fine, judgment. But there are always consequences for sin. You cannot escape the consequences of sin. And God won't let you do it, especially if you don't repent. And so there was this, there was this hardness of their heart. They wouldn't repent. By the way, we need to understand that as long as things were good, it's doubtful Manasseh would have ever repented. You know that, don't you? I mean, if things were going good, why would Manasseh repent? It wasn't until things get tough. We sometimes struggle with the idea that, that you know, people who, who things go bad, they decide to turn to God all of a sudden. Well, it's okay to turn to God if things go bad. I mean, it's a good time to turn to God. It's better that you turn to God when things go good. But we want you to turn to God. You need to turn to God. Here's the thing. This is hard sometimes to do. But sometimes people have to fool the full weight of their sin before they'll turn their life over to Jesus. They have to. Sometimes they have to feel the full weight of what they've done. In fact, one of the hard prayers of life, and, and, and I pray this for people that I love, I pray that they would turn around and turn to Jesus, but if they don't do it, sometimes I say, Lord, put them in a place where they feel the weight of their sins so great that they'll turn to you. Put them in a place where they feel the weight of their sins so great that they'll turn their life over to you. Because the most important thing is for people to turn their life to God. You see Manasseh's sin. You see Manasseh's punishment, which leads to Manasseh's repentance. When I preach about Jonah and he gets swallowed up by the fish, I, I, like to say, I have a sermon entitled, When You're in the Belly of a Fish, It's a Good Time to Get Right with God. When things are going wrong, it's a good time to get right with God. When you're being led away like you're a fish, when you're hooked up and you're in shackles, it's a good time to get right with God. Manasseh says... Manasseh brought an entreaty to the Lord his God and humbled himself. The word entreaty means to pray. He prayed. Notice it says he prayed to the Lord, to Yahweh. Uh, the Hebrew, the word Yahweh, we translate Lord. It's the personal God. It's the God of people of Israel. Now, it's his God. He's been sinning against God, but the Lord is his God. And so he humbles himself, and in humbling himself, he repents of what he's done. And so God allows him to be brought back 
within a couple of years to Jerusalem, and he's put back on the throne. And this is what happens. He, he, he builds up the walls of the city. We didn't read that verse. We built those up, but here's what he does. He gets rid of all of the worship of Baal. All of it. He just gets rid of that stuff. He throws out all the altars. All the altars that were in the temple, he got rid of all of those things. And they, just, they went back to worshiping only the Lord. That's it. They just worshiped the Lord and only the Lord. And, and, and they restored the priesthood and got everything where it should be. The only thing that he didn't really do is he didn't remove all the high places, though it says the people only worship the Lord there. They should have removed those. They didn't. But the fact is simply this. He completely repented and turned to God. And so here's what we see. Manasseh gives us the true picture of repentance and renewal. To repent means you're going the wrong way. You're, you're living for yourself. And that's what Manasseh was doing. He rejected God. He was walking away from God. To repent means you come to a place where you realize the direction you're going isn't going to work. Your life is messed up. And you're sinning against God. And so God puts you in that place and you turn your life around and you commit yourself to following God. And you repent, you reject, you ask forgiveness for going that way. You admit that way was wrong. You seek forgiveness and you turn and go the right way. And then there's the evidence that you have done that. And that's exactly what Manasseh did. So you have Manasseh repenting of sin and turning to God when an evil king decided to go good. It was cause of repentance. Which brings you to the second major thing to see today. All is said and done, it comes down. To repentance. I mean, life really comes down to whether or not we're going to repent of our sinfulness and turn our life over to God. So I'm going to share three basic things with you from this passage that helps us see some things. The first is this. Understand that sin has a long-term impact. In fact, the uh, collective negative influence of sin is imposing. It is unbelievably massive. In in the story, especially of the nation of Judah, you know, uh, after Solomon reigned, his son came aboard, and the nation split in two because of the sin of Solomon. When you look at, look at the, the line of kings that, that came from David, you have David, who was a great king, fantastic king. I know he sinned. He paid the price for his sin. But in terms of following God and worshiping the Lord, David worshiped the Lord like no other king in the history of Israel. I mean, he... Totally committed to God. Got rid of all aspects of Baalism. He did all that for a long period of time. His son Solomon did that for most of his reign. It wasn't until the end of his reign, and we, we did this a couple of weeks ago, this message I preached a couple of weeks ago, that Solomon, because of his wives, he, he built altars to worship the Baals. That was at the end of that reign. Now you think about it. Most of the time, all of David's reign, a good hunk of Solomon's reign, they were only worshiping the one true God. And at the end of his reign, he kind of deviated from that. But what did God do? He put aside all of the good. And he just said, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you. I'm going to tear it from you, Solomon. And only because of David will there still be a king. And then you have these series of kings. Some are good, some are bad. The number of good kings and the number of bad kings. In other words, the kings that followed God and the kings that didn't follow God are about even. The number of years they reigned, about even. So here's the thing. You've got kind of this 50-50 proposition. That doesn't cut it with God. He wants you completely to serve him. So the effect of this accumulative effect just tears and tears and erodes the relationship of the Judah and the people with the Lord. So you come to Manasseh, and for most of his 55 years, he did evil. 
Now the last part of it, he repents, and that's great, but you can't undo the effects of the evil and the sin. After Manasseh, for two years, he had a son named Amnon that was king. He was evil. And then after him, a descendant of Manasseh, uh, uh, probably his son, uh, was probably his son, Josiah, reigns for 31 years. And for 31 years, he is fantastic. Brings about an unbelievable revival and renewal to the Lord. And then he dies. And no matter all that he did, all the renewal, all the great things that he did, after 10 years, the people sinned so much that... They let the Babylonians take them captive. They did, still didn't learn. 11 years after that, God destroys Jerusalem and Judah. Didn't matter how good Josiah was. Didn't matter for 31 years there was revival. All that mattered is the people kept sin. Sin has this unbelievable, destructive impact. It just eats at you and eats at you. That's why we need to not let sin be a part of our lives. Because eventually, no matter what happens, we can repent. And we need to repent and turn our life around. That doesn't mean the consequences of sin won't come. I mean, parents, you need to keep sin out of your family as much as you possibly can. I don't even go into a list. There are so many evil, sinful things in this world. Keep them as long as you can away from your family. Because it's going to destroy your kids. Yes, they can come to church. Yes, they can see you worship God. Yes, they can give their life to God through faith in Christ. But sin still has this horrible impact. My, uh, and my family, on, on my dad's side, uh, they, they, they were a bunch of alcoholics. My grandfather wasn't, but his five sons all way drank too much. And it's part of the reason that I, I despise alcohol. I mean, if you drink, I don't judge you. It doesn't bother me. I don't care. I just, for me, despise it. And so my dad, um, you know, my mom and dad divorced when I was young. I didn't spend much time with him. So I didn't know until I was in my 40s, and my dad was in his 60s, I guess, at the time, that my dad was an alcoholic. He was a functioning alcoholic. I mean, he, he, I don't think I ever really saw him drunk, but I didn't realize until I spent more time with him, he was always drinking something. He always drinking. So he always had a butt. He, he could do anything. As an alcoholic, I mean, he, he could have a high, he could drive, he did his job, he did all of that. He was a functioning alcoholic until his body began to, to deteriorate and he had some severe health problems. And then he just said, I'm going to quit and he repented. And he went from, I say, he went from wild turkey to cold turkey. <laughs> he went from southern comfort to just comforting with, you know, pillows and, and Afghan, stuff like that. And he, and he got his life with the Lord, he did all that stuff. And then a few years later, my dad died because of the effects of the alcohol. You see, it's great that he repented, but it'd been better if he was never an alcoholic. He would have lived a lot longer. The, 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 the collective influence destroys life. Keep sin away from your family. Keep sin at a distance. Because, yes, you can repent, but the effect and impact of sin is great. Having said that, do you understand? There is no sin so great that God will not forgive the repentant. There is no sin so great that God will not forgive. None of you can sin more than Manasseh. I mean, he killed his kids. He killed the people of Jerusalem. He slaughtered them. He, you know, led into the worship of false gods. He was part of the occult. He, I mean, he was just horrible. You can't sin more than him, and God forgave him. Sometimes people will talk about the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin, uh, mentioned in, in uh, the New Testament and Mark mostly. And, you know, let me just say this. I have never met anybody that the, the, the phrase, the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit would apply to. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus cast out demons. 
I mean, cast out a demon. And the Jewish religious leaders, because of their hatred for Jesus, their animosity for him, said the reason that Jesus, and they knew better, that Jesus could cast out a demon was that he was himself represented Satan or he was Satan. And so Jesus says, that's just ridiculous. Why would Satan cast out Satan? See, when demons are cast out, God is praised, God is glory, people follow Jesus. So the Pharisees were saying that people are following Jesus, but Jesus was demonic in casting out that demon. Jesus said that makes no sense. Why would Satan cast out the devils, the demons? Why would he do that, knowing that people will follow God and give God glory? He says... That type of sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and it can't be forgiven. Now, what does that mean? It is to take what God has done and, and, and know that God has done it and attribute it to something else. It's to, re, it's to say, I know God did this, but instead of acknowledging God did this, I'm going to attribute it to Satan or whatever else and give them glory for what God has done. Jesus says, if you do that, you've committed a blasphemy of such you won't be forgiven because you place yourself beyond forgiveness. That's not something that atheists do. Atheists don't believe in God, so they can't, they can't acknowledge what God has done as God doing it. They just reject God. You know, even people who reject what God has done in their life, Rejecting God, rejecting what Jesus has done, is not the same thing as taking, I know what Jesus does, and attributing it to the satanic. That's what that is. I've never met anybody who did that. None of you have done that, so don't worry about that sin. Understand this, in your life right now, there is nothing you can do so great God cannot forgive you. Now, sometimes repentance is a process. It takes time. And you've got to let things happen a certain way. That's why people don't repent when things are going good very often. If someone's living a life rejecting God and things are going good, why would they repent? Some do, but many don't. Why? Things are going too good. It's when the impact of sin begins to take its effect and beat on you that you realize something's wrong. But too many people will refuse to repent and say, no, I can't do that. When they need to repent and turn to God. Here's the thing. The forgiveness of God changes us. And we respond to the change in our lives. When God forgives us, he changes us. We forgive. We we come to him. We receive forgiveness. He changes us. And then in our life, we see that change that has occurred. We see the change of God in our lives. Just like Manasseh. So that we understand this. What God wants most for us is that we repent believe and receive salvation. Now, what this, this passage is before Jesus, I get this. But notice what you see. You see Manasseh repent. You see him believe in God. And you see God save him from the crisis that he faced. But that's what we need in our lives. We, we, we must repent and believe and turn to God and receive salvation. Then our life will show it. In Mark chapter 1. I love the first chapter of Mark. I'm preaching out of that in September. Jesus comes onto the scene. And when he comes onto the scene, this is what he says. He says, the time is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe. Repentance and belief, that is faith, go hand in hand, by the way. They're two sides of the same coin. I spent a lot of time in, in the first part of the year, in January and February, talking about belief, faith. We have faith because God gives us that faith. God gives faith to us in The first thing about faith is we're going to repent of sin. We're going to acknowledge that we're going the wrong direction. When you repent, you do so because God gives you the faith. God gave that to Manasseh when he was sitting there in Assyria with the fish hook in his nose. And so he repented 
And that's what it is. It's to recognize you're walking the wrong way and to repent. And then Jesus says in that same first chapter, a few verses later, he's with some fishermen. He says, follow me. In other words, come after me. That's what salvation is. So you repent and you follow Jesus. You turn away from your sin and you follow Christ. And when you do that, there is evidence in your life that you have given your life to Jesus. You don't go back to living the life you once lived. You have turned away from it. I know many people who say, Lord, forgive me for my sin because I got caught or something happened. And then they go right back to their old life. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change. And that change is evidence because you follow Jesus in your life. Salvation in Jesus and repentance are so closely connected that you cannot have one without the other. That's why when Jesus came into this world and he began his message, he said, repent. I mean, that's what Mark said, his first message, repent. When he healed people, he would say, go and sin no more. Repent. Turn away from sin. And follow Christ. Some of you today are at a place in your life where sin has beaten you down. And you need to turn away from sin. And here's the good news. It doesn't matter what that sin is. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can always turn to Christ. Last week I preached about Jezebel, that evil woman. You know the difference between Jezebel and Manasseh? Manasseh repented. Some of you today need to repent of your sin. You may say, David, you don't understand how great the sin is. Listen, your sin... It's never going to be greater than Manasseh's sin. It's just not. And if God will forgive Manasseh, God will forgive you. And some of you right now today, you need to turn away from your sin and give your life to follow Christ. You just right where you're sitting need to say, I'm going to give you my life, Jesus. I'm going to re- I've been sinning living for me and I can't do that anymore, so I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away and I'm going to give my life to you and trust you. As my Savior. Some of you are already fathers of Christ, but you've been living kind of that life where it doesn't really show. Because even as a follower of Jesus, you've got sin infecting your life. Today would be a good day to repent. Today would be a good day to say, Lord, forgive me and I want to change and turn away from that. Some of you have people that you love. And you know they need to repent and come to the Lord. You know they're living in sin. And maybe you've got to pray. It's a hard prayer. But maybe you've got to pray a prayer that I have prayed on too many occasions. Lord, bring them to a difficult place where they'll realize their life is so messed up that they'll finally turn to you. It's a hard prayer to pray, but you may have to pray that. You may have to hope that until they get to a place where they bear the full brunt of their sin, they'll never turn to Christ. That may be where they need to be. Maybe you'd like to come today and, and pray for whatever you want to join the church. Maybe you want to make a commitment at least where you're seated. And maybe you'll say, I'm going to email y'all and try to come talk to somebody this week. You can talk to us. You can call us and come talk to us. It doesn't matter. I don't know what you need to do, but I, I know this. All of us need to leave this place today with one thing sure. We have repented from sin. And we are following Christ. So, Father, we thank you. In a very difficult story about a man who was so evil that there is a hope that's there for all of us. It's the hope Manasseh experienced. 
when he repented and turned to you. So God, we pray that for those that need to repent, that need to turn away from sin, that need to turn away from those things, leading them away from you, that God, you would touch their life. And right now as I speak, they would repent of their sin. All of us, Father, even as fathers of Christ, may need to look at our life carefully and realize that we may not be where we need to be. So help those folks who were there to repent as well. God, just to take our life and help us to quit living a life in rebellion. And before we're led away in fish hooks and chains, God, help us realize in the name of Christ and by the Holy Spirit, we need to repent and follow Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here to greet you at the front. You come.